Right. You guys have voted David Macmillan's interviews as the highest rated thing on my YouTube channel right now. Almost 100% approval rating. Here we are. It's kindly come back again for you guys. I put on my uh, royal bluest suit to compliment his posh Shakespearean accent. And we are on part three of the whole series. Looks like it, we could potentially get to 10 parts at this rate, but people oh, are loving no. it. <laughs> so let me just recap before I hand it over to David. Part one, David was in Australian Supermax for almost a decade. His story spans five continents, started out in Australia. He's running an operation with the Thai drug lord, the uncle, and his nephew, Tommy. He's also got dealings with the Colombians. So you've got cocaine here. We've got gems. We've got heroin. David does his stretch in Australian prison. The police are... On his case, as soon as he gets out, David goes off to Thailand and he is framed now for a package that's found at the airport on a day David is at the airport. The Australian police know if they can get him in prison in Thailand for a certain amount of drugs, David will be getting the death penalty. Also, before I hand it over to David, in the last video in part two, of the Thai uh, stuff, I mentioned that David would be more motivated to post videos on his own YouTube channel if we helped him get his subs up from zero to 500 by the end of the year. I think it was at 500 by the end of the day. So I thank everybody out there on YouTube who subbed over to David's channel. In the description, in the description box below this video is going to be a link to David's channel. So please continue to sub. Is going to be links to David's books, Unforgiving Destiny, which I'm back onto now because I've just finished Escape. Escape is all the Thailand one. This one is is more general his story. So highly recommend you clicking over to Amazon worldwide to get Escape and to get Unforgiving Destiny. And we're also trying to put pressure on David to do the audiobook versions of these in his own wonderful voice. In fact, I will, Sean. Uh, good evening, and you look well in, in that suit. Uh, I don't think it's too flash. I don't know why, but a very old expression came to mind. A pox doctor's clerk, as in dressed as. Now, nobody would know what that means these days, but <clears throat> when somebody had a disease and they had to go to an embarrassing kind of medical procedure, the clerk in those offices, the receptionist, was always a man, naturally, and um, he dressed to the nines. But it looks nothing like that. I have no idea why that popped into my mind. That what, it, what it is, I was accused once of only wearing a black shirt. They were said, all you ever have is a black shirt. Oh, is that all you've got in your wardrobe? So now... To prove these guys wrong, I'm trying to wear a different suit for every single podcast. And we're at podcast 21, so I've managed to wear a different suit on every single podcast. I think I can take it to 30, but unfortunately, I've had to go back to some suits I've never worn before. <laughs> That's okay. We'll call Elton John and he might help you out. With, uh, what about Liberace? <laughs> yes. Tell you what, they could be haunted, some of those old suits. <laughs> <clears throat> he was uh, an entertainer. Love the movie. Certainly. Um, right. I should say, though, that in <clears throat> Unforgiving Destiny, the Thai escape is uh, 
dealt with and has a solid chapter to it, with a few things that weren't even in the more detailed escape book. But I'll put shameless plugs aside for a moment and just overlay your uh, uh, well-rounded description of where we got to and how things came about. Go for it. By saying that my misadventures since really the age of 18 when I first set out to uh, travel the world were some successes but some massive failures and crashes, including, of course, the the big arrest in Australia, uh, the six-month trial, 10 years in prison. But the real point to it, I guess, is that every time I think I have a sense of freedom, I don't. Uh, one kind of agency authority or another is already investigating me and following me around at every point. Certainly, <clears throat> when I was released after the 10 years in Australia, and no matter how many precautions I took, things seemed to go wrong. Uh, the point of going to Thailand was really a stop-off on my way to a new life in Europe and back to London. And despite elaborate precautions um, with passports and leaving false trails, that collapsed too. And I found myself uh, being uh, pursued from the airport as I tried to leave Bangkok. Even that getaway from the airport failed as I walked into a travel agency about two hours later and then was arrested. Not, as some people might think, oh, well, you're on the run, don't go to a travel agency. It was people I knew and their telephone lines to all my contacts there, or most of them, had been on a live tap. That is, in this case, the American DEA were listening in, not because I was doing anything very exciting, but they like to test their equipment. And as a few police agencies have said, um, this Macmillan, he, he fights back a bit. So he'll, he'll try and distract you. So it's good training material. He, he might slip through. So that's what I became. As, um, was there a specific DEA agent who was coordinating this? It seemed not in the beginning, but there was a guy who uh, was in early on the, on the big trial. He was, that was Bill Schenkman, and he appeared to give some uh, wild report about how things were done in northern Thailand, the Golden Triangle, and it wasn't even evidence directed at me, actually. It was directed at, um, out of the four people in the case, one was a hippie, and he was acquitted. Um, he didn't even realize that. We had to push him out of the court. But that was Bill's first appearance, and then he kept appearing over the years, um, nearly at all my international arrests. He certainly appeared in Bangkok, uh, just to have a gloat. But here's the point. <clears throat> the police agencies, the Australians <clears throat> and the Americans, uh, and I guess the British too, had no real interest in me after uh, that arrest took place. So... Of course, they suggested to the Thais, do the worst you can for him, uh, and they did. Uh, you said framed for uh, the drug charge there. It was, I think, less than 100 grams, certainly enough for the death penalty, but probably, and I'm almost sure, taken from the daily airport sweep. 
A lot of people, when they travel with little smuggling runs, they get uh, cold feet and throw their stuff on the ground. Um, probably the cleaners at the airport have quite a good time after they've done their job, I would think. But not that day because some um, anti-narcotics force people were having a little hand pick from a sweet selection. Oh, yes, we'll give David that one. What's that? <laughs> nope. Uh, not deadly enough? No. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> uh, I'd been, as you said, I'd been through the um, very long imprisonment. Uh, my wife had been killed in a prison fire. I'd been followed around. Everything I touched seemed poisonous. I'd fled, then crashed twice, got away from the airport and then, then again, and found myself in uh, Bangkok's biggest prison, Klong Prem, which held then, I think, about 8,000 people in 10 subdivision prisons, including a women's prison and a, a kind of, oh yes, a nut house they had in there, as well as the ladyboy building. They yeah. kept them in their own section there. That's one of the questions you're getting asked now about ladyboys, but we covered that in the last video, didn't we? Yes. And they, they actually, I didn't mention that they have tents in their, in their building. And uh, it, it sort of looks like battlefield campaign tents. And I guess it was, really. Uh, you certainly risk injury going in there. Um, the AIDS epidemic was uh, in full flight back then. Oh. Um, people dropping all over the place. So, as we left at last time, where was I? That's right. I'd been in what they call the cure, which was the drug section of that big prison, and realized that um, it would not be practical to try and get out of that place. And as I'd said, I was just coming out of the deepest uh, depression where... I'd only just abandoned wanting to kill myself. It sounds pathetic uh, to say, well, things didn't work out, so I'll top myself. But it was such a feeling that I couldn't succeed no matter what precautions I took, as though destiny was just toying with me. Uh, what is the old saying from the, the Romans? Uh, those whom the gods wish to destroy first drive mad. <laughs> and that seemed to apply. Any thoughts of escape were to actually jump the wall, go to a tall building, and then throw myself off. But I was actually saved from that pit of despair by um, somebody, a Bostonian, an American, who was conning me, and I had a pretty good sense, Sean, that he was doing so. But it gave me one thing, despite all the losses that he inflicted. It was hope. And I think you said last time we spoke that hopes keep people alive. And you must have come across that in the serious cases in the US when you were there. Yeah, when I was facing 200 years, I lost all hope and I was just going to slash my wrists and bleed out. But when it takes I a got... long time. <laughs> when I got... Um... The plea bargain got reduced to uh, nine and a half years. That was like the happiest day of my life getting sentenced because... What, nine and a half years? I, I could see it? I was going to get out. I had really? hope back then to get a life back. What did nine and a half years mean in actual jail time? I'd in served 26 months fighting my case. 
As a first-time non-violent drug offender and a foreign national with a loophole lawyer that the New Mexican Mafia had referred to me, I managed to get out after just under six years. Right. I just felt lucky compared to what I'd done. It's still quite a sentence. Well, I saw... I mean, the guys I, I was writing about on my blog um, on the internet back then, John's Jail Journal... They were all serving decades. They looked at me as a little visitor through their world. I, I do know what you mean. I was um, at, at some prison years ago, and it was a, a B-category prison, but there were people doing uh, well life sentences uh, and found myself in the food line, and they're going, just to pass conversation, you know, and I was going, I would, I would be there for a few months, I'd say, uh, doing long? Uh, 35 rec. Now, that means the recommended time inside before release was 35 years. It's a bit of a conversation killer before you pick up your peas and mash. <laughs> what do you say? Well, think of all the time off for good behavior. I mean, you know. Where I was at, you'd say how long you're doing, and they'd just say all day. <laughs> Never getting out. Point. Yeah. In Australia, they used to say, um, one with the lot, uh, and they'd call that a hamburger, which meant a life sentence. Wow. Because you've got everything. <laughs> <laughs> the lot. <laughs> yeah. I love prison slang. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, there used to be a lot for um, uh, six months was a Zach, because it was sixpence, and uh, a brick was 10 years, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we digress, and... Kick me every time I wandered down the. I love your digressions. <laughs> oh, it was called a brick, by the way, because it was a ten-pound note. It was um, a brick coloured. Ah. Yeah. Um, I wrote a story once called "A Brick and Beyond." <laughs> <laughs> right. So here we are back in Bangkok, and I turn my thoughts to escape, which are never far from it. I've um, paid a little money to go over to the main part of uh, the Bangkok prison um, where sentenced prisoners live. So it's going to be better. Uh, not so many people going to court and it's organized. It certainly was, despite having paid to get there when Swiss Freddy and I, we went on the same day. Uh, he was in there for a couple of kilos. He was doing a run for some uh, Pakistani guys. They gave him a bad passport. Didn't turn out well. Uh, we arrived there and they gave the standard treatment to new arrivals. It was a way, of course, to get you to start paying. All of the new arrivals were shoved into um, a cell about the size of somebody's living room. It had one fan that limped along, ground away slowly at night. But um, with... Uh, 35 people in the room, you couldn't avoid having somebody's feet in your face. People were sweating and comfortable. You couldn't take all your junk in there, your clothes. They were all stacked outside of the place. We spent our time, Freddie and I, killing blood-sucking bugs as they crawled back up the wall. And you could see a line across the wall that just turned sort of brownish-red from all the years of bugs there. Um, people were coughing up extraordinary things, you know. Their lungs were a factory of slime. 
Anyway, uh, that worked, and uh, the trustee that welcomed us to the place met us the next morning. Hi, guys. <laughs> Good night. No, you rat. Get over here. All right, how much is it going to cost to uh, get a, a better cell? Well, and then he went on to a big speech. Um, he had lots to sell, this guy. The radios that were confiscated could be bought back. Access to your clothes could be bought. But um, arranging a cell, I didn't, I rushed into it a little. It's always better to hold back on these things, as you probably know. Um, even in a vaguely civilized uh, jail, probably the Arizona one, you know how it is. You don't push yourself forward until you assess everything. Get the lay of the land and find out who's who before you make your move. Exactly. You could be paying the wrong person. <laughs> um, now, this was a big uh, sub-prison, this. Um, six buildings, each with about a 1,000 inside them. Uh, traditional layout, three stories high. Very large grounds. Um, there, It had six or seven large factories. Everybody was supposed to work doing something. Uh, they made army boots. Uh, they did these shell paintings that uh, were actually polished bits of shell made into images of King Rama IV, who was very popular. Sold for a lot of money outside, about uh, $100, $150. Uh, poor prisoners got next to nothing, of course. <laughs> Some of the factory bosses used to uh, had the unprofitable uh, factory because... In the system, the building chief would sell the factories to the prison guards. The prison guards would pay, knowing that whatever was being made there, he could scam. He could get the prisoners to make outside goods for him to sell on to his friends. So the prison boss would say to the guard, okay, you now owe me, um, I don't know, 5,000 baht a week, and you've got to get it out. Now, if... This guard was punished in a way by having an unprofitable factory. He had to get production up. And it was common practice to beat the laziest prisoner at the end of the day. Now, how, does, how do you avoid having a laziest prisoner? <laughs> you can't. Somebody's going to cop it. So they worked in a frenzy. <laughs> um, he must have read Adam Smith's Wealth of the Nations. Yes, yes. There was... Uh, uh, there were many lessons in uh, economics in that place. Um, I, I think I referred to um, the cure, the, the previous section of it, having a little aspirin sachet uh, currency because cash wasn't allowed. But in this place, they even had a bank within what they called the coffee shop but was a general store. It sold food, rice, everything like that. Uh, but it also had um, a little bank section on the side. So if you had money in your account, you wanted a thousand baht to pay your way around the, the jail, you could get that for what they call 20%. Um, it was really 25, but... How do you put money in your account? Friends and family deposit it in a, um, a, a prison account attached to your name. So it's there, and... And if you put a lot of money in that account, are you then a target? No. Uh, the Chinese are quite discreet about who has uh, money in there. 
they are the ones who want to uh, steal from you. Not the 20%, just anybody. The twenty percent that they charge. Yeah, you know, it's quite to get a lot. Get your money out really. of your account. And they also, of course, made money on the goods that were sold there, um, mostly um, uh, Thai Chinese uh, were were running it. People would even <laughs> this the misbehaving sons of wealthy Thais would arrange their jail time for them and insist that they get involved in uh, the general store. Let me just try and clarify this a bit more then. So in America, I had an inmate account and that was run by the jail and my family could deposit money with the jail and I could spend $20, $30 a week on items I could order from the commissary from the inmate store. I couldn't go to a physical shop. There was a piece of paper had a list of items and I would tick the items up to a total of $25, $30 and then they would get delivered to my cell. What, bagged up and bagged already? Up. Yeah. Now, from what you're saying, this is an inmate account run by prisoners. The prisoners ran everything in so that prison. So your people outside of the prison are giving money to prisoners to give to you minus 20%. Um Sometimes like that, but no, it went into the official account. Oh, they so had it a, was actually deposited yes, with the authorities. Yes. Supposedly for buying things that didn't exist, like services, buying um, uh, sports equipment, um, none of which happened. But that was the excuse for uh, those, the existence of those accounts. Also, um, the foreigners had um, a special concession so they could buy foreign food. <laughs> there was even some of the food came as foreign food. So, so if the money is getting deposited with the prison, the official prison, yeah. how come they're not just giving you 100%? You can't just withdraw 100% from the prison? Not in how- cash. You're not supposed to have cash, but you do need cash. So and- how have the, the prisoners worked the system so they can withdraw it themselves and but only select ones to give it some to give to you 80%? They've made a, an arrangement with the, what would you call him, the bursar or, or the money man within the prison staff oh, okay. so that um, he gets a, a certain amount of cash right. and, and then has access to that a big holding account. In fact, oh. it usually turned out that the prison guard in charge of that had gambled most of it away. So he's utterly dependent on deals with the um, owners of the coffee shop to keep the float going. Good grief. This coffee shop also had a, a little barber's shop next door. You could get a haircut for about 50p. Um, it had a library. And just to let you know how industrious and thoughtful the people who ran it, this library were, uh, the, the items that were the most expensive to rent, even overnight, was the pornography. It came, <laughs> yes. The porn came in a lever arch folder, um, with hole punched and laminated, of course, Sean. <laughs> you can't be giving out pornography to sex-starved guys that's not laminated. Not if you want to keep issuing that stuff. <clears throat> so, so the overnight federal funds rate rises 10%, but the rate for porn rises 50% in the Thai prison. <laughs> it, well, it was an expensive breed, yes. Um, so it was, it was quite a business, that. Also, just to get uh, the overall picture of that um, middle core of the prison, which people can go on Google Maps, look at the city of Bangkok, just to get the scale size. 
uh, type in um, Bangkok Central Prison and it will focus on a huge square of land, uh, almost, well, really visible from space. That's how big it was. But I had no idea of, of what that size was. It, it was simply big. And uh, though confined to the building, I was able to um, get around the rest of the prison. So they had um, their industries. Um, some of them were clearly very dangerous for the prisoners. There was a factory that did something that created gold color on a, uh, a box that was used for Chinese funerals. It came in huge vats called Yellow Moo from China. Lots of skulls and crossbones on it. And at the end of the day, you'd see these poor little workers scurry out, all completely sallow from this stuff on them. <clears throat> As you can imagine, the, there was a high turnover rate on the health basis for that. There was a cart that came in every morning, and that was loaded with fresh vegetables-ish, uh, meat, and um, pretty much anything you'd want from the local market. That market was run by the families of the officers who, who worked in there. So everything had its inflationary value. It's like the original prison industrial complex. It was. It was a city within a city. Yeah. And the um, officers who worked in there, that was their lives. Most of them lived within half a mile of the prison itself. It was surrounded. I noticed coming back from court that their houses were all around the place, which was beyond the 20-metre moat. It was not without some level of security. Uh, in this central core prison where I was, there were prisons outside of that, like the maze in Ireland, I guess, and prisons beyond that. And then on the fringes of it, even the women's prison. Uh, a friend of mine there, he was a kind of a, a scientist. He, he was quite good. He made a telescope to peer into the women's prison. <laughs> How, you ask? <laughs> right. Just I know people seem to have an interest in the technicalities of these things, but very briefly, um, the pictures that were made out of shell were coated in epoxy resin to give them a glassy look. He found an old LP record player. He built up the edges of it, ran it at about 45 RPM, and poured in the epoxy resin. That created a spin which resulted in a parabola which was ideal for making this telescope. Wow. He was also a terrific brewmaster, made a pineapple swill that was... Uh, what was the hooch like in Arizona? I had the shits after it, but uh, perhaps they might have gave me the bottom of the barrel. I'm told there's different gradations, isn't there? If you get the stuff at the top, it's not got all the swill. Yeah, and, and not so granular and all of that. Yes. It wasn't filtered. Well, what we what they did because it was almost fifty degrees in the summer. Wow, uh, one hundred and twenty in Arizona temperature. They just had a big bag with um, candy, sweets for sugar, mm -hmm. bread for yeast, and fruit, oranges, and whatever fruit they could get their hands on. So then you'd have to you'd put it against the wall because the wall it's like a concrete oven in these cells. Okay, that was the baking zone. Yeah, mm. so that was the temperature, but then you had to periodically burp it because if you didn't burp the bag, it would explode. Oh, of course. Yeah. So they got to burp it, and it lets all this smell out, and you got wait till the guard does a run, and then burp the bag, and 
But occasionally people would forget and things would explode and, you know, things going and, on. And didn't you notice when you went to somebody's cell or area where that was going on, the whole place smelled yeasty, like yes. bread being baked? Yeah, so when guards did security walks, because they were smoking and stuff as well, smoking meth, they would um, get out, like, uh, aftershavey things or deodoranty things and waft them around, up some kind of powder and waft them around, waft it to the mouth. But then that was an even bigger clue that something I, I, was I going imagine. on. Yeah, it, yeah. it's like uh, um, people uh, burn orange peel to disguise uh, smoking brown heroin in prison. Yeah. But it's just... Uh, an alert that that's what's going they on. They were smoking fruit peel where I was at when they ran out of tobacco. Really? Um, they haven't banned smoking in uh, U.S. prisons then? Or not at the time you were there? I believe anyway. that since I have been released that most prisons have banned smoking now or, or there's some maybe outdoor areas uh, for some or some have switched over to e-cigs. Yes, and I can imagine it made an instant black market in tobacco. Of course, well. yeah. yeah. Like There's nothing else. like a prohibition to bring out. To boost the black market. Uh, to, well, even officers who probably wouldn't consider bringing in drugs would think, well, an ounce of tobacco, that's, that's all right. Nice so, supplement to the income uh, there, yeah. Um, in, in the UK, uh, the worst tobacco, I forget what its real name was, but... It was known as uh, Fences and Hedges. It had, <laughs> had big chunks of it. Anyway, let's get back into the Bangkok prison. Inside Dan 6, which was Building 6, uh, as new arrivals, we had to be trained up. And there was um, Charlie Yao, who was uh, the trainer. He was an English speaker. I guess that's why he was supposedly training the foreigners how to be obedient and learning Thai for turn left, turn right, march. There was none of that. So, And nobody would pay any attention to poor Charlie. He'd say, oh, guys, come on, they're looking at me. Please, turn, do something, anything. But he turned out to be a, a very good friend, Charlie. And I'll explain that later. But um, the first order of the day was to arrange a, um, a cell that wasn't infested, not so crowded. So... Um, who are we? Uh, there's me. Um, there's Swiss Freddy. Um, there was English Nick. Um, who else came in early on? A couple of the Pakistani guys. Um, we One of them was a trustee, but a foreigner trustee is somewhat better than the locals, not a complete rat. Uh, a rat, but not a complete one. <laughs> a rat whose boundaries, you know, so it's sort of manageable. You know, you couldn't trust uh, old Tanvir with anything very much. But it was a, a good starter option to populate the cell. Um, one was emptied for us for, um, I think we paid about 500 pounds altogether. Quickly stripped it, um, had some lino put down, changed the fan, um, brought in an old guy who was completely crippled up, but apparently he was the respected carpenter of the place. Yeah. He couldn't even hammer in a nail straight, but he managed to put up over the uh, hole-in-the-ground toilet a couple of uh, screens, so that became the evening shower. Arranged water, water buckets. Um, now, most of the um, foreigners, the English uh, and the Americans, found little places in one of the factories to hang out all day. And they paid a couple of Thai boys to 
do their work in the factories for them. Um, I wanted a bit more privacy than that, so I was arranging some space for myself. But the cell was coming together, and I was already starting to to look at the idea of escape. Now, Sean, I would I knew I had a reliable eighteen months, perhaps two years, before my case would be concluded. Um, my lawyer had pretty much told me that my defence, the dream, as they call it, would come to nothing. The dream. Uh, I'd be convicted. Um, he he was kind of eccentric lawyer, but I've got to give him credit. He'd stand up and 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 make a claim to the judge that something was inadmissible. For example, one day in court, um, what was the evidence of the day? You'd appear there every six weeks, go on for about two hours, and that would be it. But this day's uh, bit of evidence was a newspaper cutting from um, the Melbourne Sun newspaper, which included the speculations of a couple of policemen as to what I was planning Oh, yes, David was getting his old contacts together. He was building a network. He was using Thailand as a base, that kind of thing. And um, my lawyer said, well, it's really only a newspaper story. I don't see how it should go in. The judge said, but we've had a translator from the university to come in. She's a professional woman. What are you saying? It's in. Evidence. <laughs> so, it wasn't looking good for my case. No, no. <laughs> um, incidentally, that uh, newspaper article was supplied by the uh, Australian Federal Police liaison staff at the embassy. I did complain to um, the Australian government that for them to be supporting a case which would result in a death penalty was not really sporting because it was outlawed in Australia, the death penalty. Did it slow them up? Not much. But in your case, it's going to be different. Um, that was the worry that I was, it was about time to hang a whitey. And um, it looked like I was going to be the one. So back to Dan Six, Building Six. The reason I stayed there is because I went to church on Sunday, which gave me an excuse. It wasn't a real church gave me an excuse to wander the grounds generally. And I looked at the bars in the other buildings. The so-called foreigner's building, building two, looked like a depressing place to go. It, it, was, it even had little huts built in the yard, the American's hut, the English hut. I went over there to visit on some pretext. Um, I had by then befriended trusty Charlie, who escorted me around the prison uh, on some basis or other. Um, so I could have a good look at the bars in each one. The foreigners' building bars were, well, if we look behind us at these wooden struts, they were as thick as that. There was no cutting through those things on the cells. <laughs> I guess that's why they put the foreigners in there. So I was staying where I was. These bars were manageable. They were about hmm, half as thick as this uh, microphone uh, back end. So, still quite big, but at least I thought it could be done. But that wasn't going to be the the, the prime plan. A cutout, a, a direct jump out of the prison seemed terribly risky. I didn't know where I was uh, in the building. Uh, I was surrounded by thousands of people who 
If they saw a foreigner running round after hours, that would be it. The trustees all had whistles. They would, they would literally blow that whistle. Blow their little hearts out. <laughs> a damn foreigner doing what we don't do. I mean, the last people to get out of that place were a couple of half-wits who managed to climb to the wall, got tingled by the electricity, fell into the monastery next door, and dragged along half-injured by the priests, uh, monks, uh, who did what um, servants of the Lord usually do, rat you out to the cops at the first opportunity so that you may seek your punishment and become free of heart. Oh, I don't know how they quite justify it, but that's what they do. So... And that was ancient history. No, nobody had uh, got anywhere with this. But that was the building to be in, I figured, even though I didn't quite know where I was. I found a place in, um, which was this factory. It was one of the art factories making the pictures. Quite peaceful, short. Uh, I rented myself a bit of back wall, and the, the, the guard in charge of that was a complete drunk, he hated his job, hated life. Uh, he was my kind of man when it comes to prison guards. So didn't speak a word of English, but I picked up enough Thai to... Um, but what, what was to talk about? I'd, I'd bring him my private mail um, to post for me. And he was... I guess he did that when he left the place because he, he, they always got there. Ooh. So he wasn't too drunk, so he didn't know what to do. Ooh. What did that cost? Uh, packet of cigarettes and uh, that was the polite thing the cigarettes but the money wasn't much is that because if you just mailed it through to prison they could open it and see well, your plans yeah well I certainly didn't put them in writing but um, what well, I just didn't I, I sent one letter uh, to um, Sharon uh, my Australian girlfriend and she said it arrived with um, pieces cut out and black lines through it I found out there was a foreigner's prison censor who was a prisoner, and that was his job. And I found him. I said, what the fuck do you think you're doing? Oh, that's my job. Yeah, okay, right. I mean, we're in a place where every job is to the imagination. Uh, everything's a fiction. Uh, and so that was the job I got. I bought myself the job of uh, the censor. And during my time there, I don't think I did anything but seal up letters. Uh, I certainly never read anything. The only thing that did catch my eye was um, a reply coupon from a magazine featuring children's clothing. Not extraordinary in itself, necessarily. But the name rang a bell, this weed... Why did I know him? Yes, because the building chief had been on my case um, a couple of weeks earlier, saying, uh, Daniel, that was my name in there, Daniel Westlake. Um, <laughs> I learned that this week from a, somebody who was in prison with you called Tom. Oh, oh that, I haven't rung him back. I, I must yeah. do it. Um, yeah. Uh, a building chief was trying to get me to take this prisoner into my room. I said, Chief, let me check him out. I, I can't handle snorers. Uh, which gave me a, a time to find out that he'd um, more or less kidnapped. Or no, he bought two 12-year-old girls and one 9-year-old from the mother and had his wicked way with them and, mm. and blundered around. Uh, I went back to the chief. I, I said, 
sorry, Chief, look, here's another thousand baht for the rebuilding fund and a pile of rubble in the corner that never gets touched. Yes, thank you. What, um, what's wrong with him? He, he's just a criminal like you. Okay. Um, you know, I explained it wouldn't be healthy. The air was bad in my cell and, you know, he'd probably suffocate. So, um, but when I saw this... Um, little card for the child's clothing catalogue as my job as official prison censor, I returned it to him. And um, I'm not normally known for anything, you know, taking, I, I hate people to take advantage of any, any uh, position they might have. But he said something, he kind of winked at me conspiratorially, like, all boys together, eh? Yes. Tell you what, this card is very tasty. Why don't you eat it? <laughs> Which, after a little persuasion, he did. It wasn't very big. Probably capped off his lunch. So that was the extent of my um, interest in my job. Um, but I had this corner office under a, a thatched hut in the open air, so it wasn't a fancy office. But it was quite big. The um, the crippled carpenter, I employed him, and he had his uh, assistants. Um, I had a head butler called Jet because he was the seventh child. Nong Samsi Hap Tip Jet, that's how you count in Thai. Um, I um, cultivated the, he was the guard in charge of the building so that I could have my morning runs and then go up and have a shower in private. Uh, so he'd let, you weren't allowed in the, the main building during the day, and nobody was. It was a ghost town up there. Nothing but emptiness and opportunities mm. for checking out the door. So I'd get the trustee to let me into my cell to open it up. But, you know, we got along, so he didn't mind terribly much if I grabbed the keys and let myself in and put them back. Plan one. <clears throat> Plan one. Uh -oh. <laughs> okay. Um, court isn't going well as usual. Some of the monstrosity of evidence was going in. Um, the key. Okay. The cell door had gaps in it. It was all bars. Would it be possible to reach around and get that key into the cell door? Maybe. But I'd need a kind of contraption to turn it. And how would I duplicate it? In one of my care packages, I had some wax candles sent, so I melted them down. This was a bit nerve-wracking, grabbing the keys and making the impression. You can't just squash it in there. Mm. You've got to heat it up a bit and then <laughs> cool it down, pluck it out without deforming it at all, and put it back. Um, and after a lot of experimentation, I ended up with the idea that some kind of resin uh, mixed with metal could duplicate this key. I made up a couple of them, corrected them with little filings, and came back from one of my runs um, to test the thing. I should say I had to come back from that run and have a shower that day anyway, because everybody had little stalls outside, and the, one of them was a famous uh, blind man, he wasn't blind. He had 20-20 vision. But he had 
tailor-made rags to do his begging. <laughs> so he, he'd sell his bits of cigarettes to people and had a couple of guys who had a little rolling machine. And that, that was his living. He had a towel every day. But um, during my run, I'd speed past him, and he didn't really like it. Mm. Now, he w had spectacular lung disease and um, used to hock out these massive greenies everywhere. And I mention this only because following one run uh, in the morning, I sped past him and he was at the fence, those cloudy eyes staring out into nowhere. I think his sentence was forever or they'd lost his papers or something. Anyway, on my second round, I didn't see in time that hideous mouth with the curled lips was open the roaring thunder of his chest was coming out and this hocked spit tumbled through the air, growing arms and legs, little eyes I'm sure I saw, and then clump into my T-shirt. And it was clawing at me. So I, oh. I tore that off and threw it into the, a rubbish bin, which was descended on by five prisoners by that stage. And... Um, uh, then then ran, ran back into the building. It was hard to get in that day because they were punishing some prisoners for some indiscretion by making them roll up and down on the concrete. You can imagine they're like logs all lined up and the trustees hitting them with sticks saying, no, roll up and down, roll up and down. So I've jumped over them, paid my respects to the guard on the door, run upstairs and produced this key that I've made. Okay, so will it turn altogether? I already know the idea of turning a key from behind will work because I put the real one inside, threaded a stick through it, and turned it. But it needed more force if you weren't standing in front of it. I put this key in, the one I'd made, turned it, turned it. An inch, I felt something move inside the works, and then crack. Ah. If that, if I'd let that crack inside, then they'd know, wouldn't they? The lock's been interfered with. It would roll down with ramifications. Mm. Um, no, this was, I, I can't stress enough that they didn't mind you racketeering, selling drugs, killing each other. But anything to do with escapes, taking away your livelihood. People have said, oh, look, this is Thailand. Surely you can buy your way out. But, and I don't know why people say that. They think it's a corrupt country. For example, imagine you, in, in your situation in Arizona, how would you start to buy your way out? Could it be done? Yeah, you've got to have a lot of money, though. There was a guy who his dad was a multimillionaire and he bought the judge. And he was so confident that his case was going to get um, go in his favor. He really liked his cellmate. And he said to his cellmate, look, call the prosecutor and tell her I've told you certain things so you can get out on your case as well because I'm going to get out on my case anyway because we've, we've brought the judge off. So his cellmate contacted the prosecutor and became an informant and was moved to a different prison, all this stuff, and was ready to testify against him. But because the judge had been brought out, it all got kicked out anyway oh, so right. both of them got out wow. him and his cellmate but um what do you think all that cost oh lots you've you got to have millions yeah i would in think. america yeah yeah in, in america you get what justice you can afford so if you've got millions you can play the system mm. like mm. oj you know you down the road kick down the right amount of money to a, the judge and blah 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 
Well, um, I think it, ultimately that one was down to a jury, wasn't it? Uh, and um, what was that famous lawyer he had? Was it? Um, oh it was God. one of the Kardashians' friends. Yeah. I'll think of it in a minute. But he played the race card very well. Yeah. And fortunately for the defense, um, one of the policemen had blundered by making some uh, you know, unfortunate remarks about race the, and fitting the, the people Nazi, up. The Nazi something. cop, yeah. 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 So, it, it, and I'm not sure that would work in, in today. But down people, the road, he, he got rearrested, OJ. That's right. And, and he he's lost ba- some He's back out again cases. now, isn't he? Didn't he get arrested in, in some hotel for pulling some scandal? Yeah, he said people who took his memorabilia and he went and retrieved it at gunpoint. So he got <laughs> one he way. Got, yes. He got like kidnapping and armed robbery and everything. But he's I think he's back out again now. Yeah, he's out. Um, yeah. So obviously some money changed hands somewhere for him to get back out, I believe. Um yes, but there we are. As you say, a, a very expensive thing. Oh and, yeah. Um in Thailand to buy a way out, I'm sure in normal circumstances, it could be done in most cases. But I should say this, there were eyes on my case. I was a foreigner. Um, pretty much everybody connected with it was um, going to send me down. For the judge to reverse all of that, and the difficulty really is probably not um, how much it would have cost or whether it could be done, there was no way to find anybody who could approach him that wouldn't pocket the money first. Because didn't you lose 50 grand on an attempt to do that? Because what I read in Escape, I mean, you were in a fortunate position to have this amount of money anyway, but there were certain escapes that you invested in and they just took your money. Oh, virtually all of them. Um, The uh, Bostonian uh, made some attempt uh, when he contacted my old friend there, Lee, um, to get a doctor to make up some medical basis for bail, uh, to contact the prosecutor. But there were so many layers to go through, um, they were too busy stealing the money. And anyway, he didn't want to spend much of it. He had his own plans for uh, for that money. But as I said before, his only real... I, I found him in the end years later, uh, and I said, well... A lot of people would think that having fleeced my friends for over a hundred grand and, and make me think that you were make some real attempt to get me out, that I'd be very upset with that. But you can relax a bit because um, I did get something for that money. I got hope when I needed it most. Mm. Um, he he said to me early on, look, uh, you don't belong in this place. You don't look like you, you do which I didn't take to mean um, I, I was different from anybody else or, or somehow not deserving, none of that. Just almost like it was a, a reading of fate. Um, didn't Danny Dyer uh, say that to you? Um, yes, yes. It's when he could focus clearly enough. <laughs> uh, lucky his palms didn't sweat or he wouldn't have had a question to answer me. Because, you know, <laughs> Scribbled them out on, on his, but I kind of liked him. He, uh, he was um, while we were doing that bit. He was sweating over the release of um, some horror movie that had come out, and Danny was ringing his agent every five minutes saying, "What the opening? It, 
What do you mean there's nobody in the theater? Well, go get somebody, you know. <laughs> it bummed first weekend. Uh, so he wasn't really scared of you on that boat then. He was just channeling that energy about the movie. He was. He was scared of professional failure. His, his favorite line was uh, to try and take that false modesty of, of uh, kind of running himself down. Uh, just a Ponzi actor, me. Good player. Gay aristocrat, I think. I could do that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I can't really see him being a Lord Fauntleroy, can you? <laughs> no, he do it well. Uh, he do it well. Yeah, uh, got a photo somewhere, you know, telling me to keep out of trouble. <laughs> I like the bit where you disappeared. Was that in Soho? Um, that was pretty much staged. Yeah. Um, the whole thing it was a, the weakest attempt to look like. Um, you know, I was. I'm worried about my safety and uh, on the run. It, it was feeble, but the whole thing was done on about 50 grand, 22 of which went to Denny and everybody what? else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everybody else had to make do. The, the cameraman was director one day and, and the director was everything, you know. Oh Clapper loader, as they used to call it. Wow. So, um, oh, yeah, I knew I'd get swindled on that one. Uh, no mention of the book I was trying to promote. So... Anyway. Danny, you fucked up, mate. <laughs> yeah. Done that. I would have been in your corner today. And you never know when you might need a low life like me. You never know. Okay. Uh, where are we? Okay. Back in uh, the key plan, abandoned. Um, it would have... I can imagine the risk. Um, only that, I've only opened one door. Um, where am I going from there? All right. Let's look at the courts. Plan two. Um, get out of the courtroom. Um, <clears throat> modern building, paid for by American DEA money. Uh, high rise, a lot of floors unoccupied, good thing. The um, trial courts on the upper levels. Prisoners arrive, herded off the vans, all in chains. Even I couldn't get out of being chained for the court day. You go down there, use a machine or the guy with a hammer to put them on. Uh, put a bit of string on it and shuffle off. Had to wear a little uniform, prison uniform for the court. Um, had a tailor make one up out of silk so it wasn't too sweaty. <laughs> Not this colour. <laughs> no, even I wouldn't have gone that far. But still. Um, <laughs> no, no, actually that would have been a good... It, that would, has a, a tone of innocence, don't you think? The Thai prison... Um, court suit or, or prison clothes uh, is a kind of shit brown from a not very good meal, I think. Uh, um, no royal blue. No, the prisoners didn't wear them much except for the extremely poor ones who had to eat prison food, which was uh, at a bench with uh, brown rife, uh, brown rife, uh, rife with weasels in it. And uh, But as my scientist friend there said, full of protein, all that, and uh, a quarter of a moldy cucumber. Oh, and they had to pray before they ate that meal. In other words, sit at the table at this, well, I'd like to say steaming pile, but if there was any heat in that rice, it was only from the fermentation going on. Um, and then they'd get shuffled off the bench. Somebody would co come down, hose off the plates. They were nailed into the bench top. Who did they pray to? 
Um, oh, I think it was a, a Buddhist prayer of okay. uh, repentance, uh, I dare say. Uh, repentance for having sat at that table at all. <laughs> With the weevil. <laughs> um I tell a story somewhere, and we won't go into it today. We haven't got time. But the one day I did see all of the prisoners uh, in uniform was a kind of open day. Yes, they had them there, and they had special food made for them, saffron rice and a few delicacies. Oh, yes, says the escorting guard to the outsiders. That's what they get every day. In the morning, that same guard had been saying, I want all the cripples off the streets this morning, guys. If you see somebody bleeding, hose it away. Won't have blood on my open day. Oh, no. But, uh, and other things like the gay fashion parade, which were held on a makeshift stage inside the, the eating hall. Uh, you know what? I, I like the, the lady boys, when they'd get their award for being the best dressed queen, were in tears. And oh, I, uh, I want to thank all the little people out there, you know. Um, they, they, it, they went through the, and it was quite popular. There were some musicians in there, a couple of good ones. Um, and, okay, everybody speaks of these prisons as being unrelenting torture factories. Indeed, you wouldn't have to go far to find where, uh, on one occasion, the trustees were busy killing off some poor junkie kid that had run afoul of everybody and become an embarrassment and knew too much uh, about the senior officers. And so they were killing him off. I, they... I was reading that in your book and I was really like, oh, what is going on here? It was one mm. of those moments where you described it. Well, it, it was harrowing because I'm kind of hoping he dies quickly. I'm, they'd given him hot shots and everything. But yet at the same time as that's going on, some kind of frolic is being staged elsewhere in the ground. So this massive contrast, uh, they covered up his death easily enough, blamed it on something or other. Um, so it, it, it's very easy to sit here and, and, and pile on you know, grisly stories of, uh, or even really comic ones. But sometimes if I would interfere with a, a prison guard torturing some poor slob, uh, he'd send his boys over to say to me, look, uh, Daniel, why? It's, it's Thai business, this. We don't bother you. Don't bother us about that. So it and that wouldn't be often when, when I'd intercede. I did do a favor for uh, Charlie Yao's Chinese pals in there by taking in a, a young boy that was really going to be a target. He was pretty. I mean, this would this would tempt you know, absolute testosterone fueled you know woman eater into crossing the line. He he looked about you know fourteen years old, looked like a little girl. Oh, so um, he had a black eye when they brought him to me. They could you look after him for a week because if we put him anywhere in any of the other cells, he'll be you know fucked all over the place. So <clears throat> I took him in, and, and that wasn't a real problem. Um, I had to say to little Jet, my manservant, Jet, stop molesting him. He's so cute. Now, I know he's cute, but leave him alone. He likes me. Uh, Jet. 
And your manservant is a midget. Yeah, he, he's only about four foot nothing. <laughs> Rob DeBass ran in there with two guns, waving them about. Perhaps they couldn't see the guns, he's so small. But anyway, somebody <laughs> somebody relieved him of them. And, you know, I think the bus driver got back to the office with a little jet under his arm. This idiot tried to rob the bus. Yeah, and they all got a good laugh out of that. Uh, but he, he made for a good butler. He brought me a lot of charity cases, though, I must say. He, he came up with a, a couple of people who had been in there so long. Their papers had been lost. They never went to court. Uh, one of them didn't even seem to know which country he was from. Uh, but I said, Jeff, he speaks a little Thai, but tell me, is it with a heavy accent? He said, yes, it's, I don't know, foreign accent. Thanks, Jeff. Um, and he, he'd been cast about in the um, Arab world from one country to another. So there was no jobs left. We had already somebody whose job was to go and fetch the ice and somebody else. So um, he became the chimney sweep for the group. No chimneys anywhere, so he wasn't terribly busy. But um, he got to eat anyway, and that was an important thing. What a cast. I can see this in the movie, this cast of characters with the midget butler and the mm. chimney sweep. There's no chimneys. Great. <laughs> no. Uh, the cooking was done by uh, Noel. Um, because I've changed the names in the books, um, it doesn't really matter. None of the names in anything uh, of the people uh, matter at all. But the, the French group were quite cohesive. Their embassy was good. Uh, the, the food they gave them and little packages was very good. And Noel used to, he, he was quite a good cook. He could, um, so that was something to look forward to. Where did this all come from? It came from a big cart. Uh, you would pay in cash, another reason you needed it, to the trustee who arranged the food purchases. Um, okay. So, um, where was I? Ah, the courtroom, trying to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Yes. At tall building, this was the plan. Prisoners were taken into the courtroom by a special elevator. This lift took them up. It was very small with and only fit two guards, perhaps two sets of prisoners. But most often, you'd be taken down by yourself. It passed three empty floors that had yet to been fitted out as courtrooms so there was empty space. Idea, I'd find one of my most ruthless, villainous friends, used to waving a gun about, persuasive at all times, to travel to Thailand, <clears throat> stop, see me go in, stop the lift on the way down uh, by just pressing on the empty floor, take care of the guards. Uh, he, they wouldn't argue much, so they wouldn't have cared. Leave them taped up with uh, cable ties, hands and feet, a bit of gaffer tape over the mouth to give them something to breathe through. Um, <clears throat> oh, yes, he'd need some uh, bolt cutters, which had extensions on them to uh, cut me out, change of clothes, wig, uh, walk down the floor, get into the lift, not that lift again, get into the public lifts, join the crowd downstairs. The guy I picked was good, really, loyal, um, Robbed plenty of banks without incident in his time. Um, was such a good shot that he could wing somebody without you know, leaving any um, disabling effects. That, by the way, got him killed in the end. Um, you don't fire a shot over the head of a policeman, do you? 
if if you've come to that position, you might as well become Billy the Kid and shoot it out or not because the shot that he sends back at you, well, it hit him in the chest. Anyway, at, at the time, um, Harry was, uh, he, he came over uh, and he he counted, unfortunately, the number of um, policemen, prison guards and others with machine guns and armed to the teeth. And yeah, I think he had a little clicker and, he stopped counting at 113 or something. I thought he was worrying about nothing myself. Um, if people have got guns everywhere all the time, doesn't mean, sure, they'll use them if, if they have an excuse, but we're mingling with the crowd. I suppose he did have a point, though. Uh, if something went bad about it, we would have been finished. So, uh <laughs> It would have made a headline. Mm. <laughs> the last expression of a foreigner. <laughs> I'd be like, poor old Dirty Harry's victim on the ground. Did he fire six shots or only five? <laughs> okay, it wasn't the greatest of plans, but it was researched, it was checked out. I just couldn't find somebody um, determined enough. People are very good crooks in their own manner. Uh, you can find some very tough people here in the US but <clears throat> I always found the professional crooks or career criminals that found themselves in Asian prisons were really lost and out of their depth They nothing worked for them because nobody knew them they had a kind of there's no way of proving themselves from, from the outset a lot of it's really I, I'm sure that so many crooks around the world uh, and certainly applies to the mafia, um, exist by um, reputation and, and, and what it means. So that plan uh, was abandoned. Now, the court thing's going on. I have a um, escaping from death row, which would follow a conviction. It wouldn't have been easy. Um, so I had a friend there, um, it was an Italian-American, Alex, uh, a mafia guy, Another story for another time, but he ended up there, and he was in massive chains and had to pay uh, just to get a shower every day, a lot of money. So time was against me. I had another couple of plans, um, but in the back of my mind, I'm always keeping in reserve, this may come to it, David, when you're on your own. Nobody will come with you. Um, the, I think I'm... I had about two or three Confederates. There was another Swiss guy there. Uh, he shared our cell. Um, but um, the one thing everybody should know about um, some kind of a hellhole prison, don't get sick. Whatever you do, take care of yourself and don't. Uh, Theo, the other Swiss guy, sneezed. Well, effectively, I'll, I'll put it, he sneezed too strongly one day and burst a blood vessel. Now, that's treatable, but there was nothing we could do. Uh, he wouldn't come down from the cell. He, he was lying there. Uh, a little pet cat. The cat came and told me, this is serious, David, because he'd peed himself. Uh, now, somebody has to be pretty far gone to do that. And I, I still remember to this day, of course, he wasn't eating. He couldn't, couldn't talk. 
the, the broken vessel was slowly draining blood into the parts of his brain and flooding it, killing off brain cells. It must have been agonizing because when I, when I was starting to go, can you imagine one is fixed glassy stare of a dead man and the other one is flittering about? <sighs> into the good eye, I looked and said, uh, told a pack of lies. Don't worry, Theo, I'll bribe everybody I can find. You know, we'll, we'll get something done. And they just didn't want to do anything about it. And to tell me what was going on, which we'd all guessed by then, the one arm that still worked, the other one was obviously on the side. Well, it works reversed, doesn't it, with the brain? Uh, he managed to get one arm over the top of his head and just banged it on the side to say, it's in there, it's in there, I'm dying. And, um, well, we paid to get him to the hospital, a couple of cartons of cigarettes, sort of that. But that's that's a death sentence in itself, going to that hospital. And he hung on till uh, the next day. And the doctor wrote it up. Died of AIDS. <laughs> that was the official verdict. So Theo was out of the plan. I was left with um, a Swedish guy, Sten, uh, been working out in on a drug case, facing uh, the usual life sentence. But also, a lot of the guys had hope in there. They expected to spend no more than about eight years before they'd be transferred home. But the whole transfer system, which was brought about by the Canadians and the Americans, had a kind of poison pill to it. The transfer system meant that the royal pardons that used to be routinely handed out after, I don't know, a decade or 12 years to foreigners weren't being given out. You had to transfer back to your country. Now, in the case of the US, that meant passing the barrier of getting past the DEA approval, which was cooperation. So you had to rat out a few people or, or make up a convincing story to get past that. My point is that while escaping was a sensible thing for me to do, it wasn't necessarily so for um, some of the others. Where would they go? Uh, if they got out, would they have passports? Would they have friends? Would they have money? Did I want them with me? Like, no. I, I don't know if I've told you the story that uh, uh, resulted in... I, In fact, I have. Yes, I have mentioned you know, when the Israelis turned up, yeah. having escaped from a small lockup in the north, and their legs had been smashed uh, with iron bars, broken rocks piled on them, and they'd healed up that way, if you call it healing. The legs were all bent and twisted, and they were in heavy elephant chains, they called them. Then, of course, nobody else wanted to come. So, If you want the full Israeli escape story, that was in part two. And all of David's parts and David's playlist now are in the description box below this video. Yes. So alone I was. But as it turns out, that was a, a good thing. Charlie, meantime, my Laotian Chinese friend, had been released. Uh, he'd been deported, but he came back to Thailand. And he came to see me. And I said, look, I, I need a passport. Um... But there's a few wrinkles to it. I don't know exactly when I'll be going, so when I give you the word, um, get me the false passport. It has to be a good one, of course, um, passable. But you have to enter it into the Bangkok immigration computers at the airport because the visas were for, what, 30 days. So if I turn up there, 
it must look like I've only been in the country for a couple of three weeks. So that was another job. And it seemed to me there were many layers to that, getting this photograph into a stolen passport, putting the requisite stamps in there to make it look like it'd come in, getting to the computer. How did all that work? Well, Charlie assured me that the um, people smuggling network was so standardized by then. There were people in each of these government departments, especially at the airport, who would do all that sort of stuff. But I still had to do get out of the prison. I've had another plan where I was to be welded into a VW combi van. I didn't like this one much. <laughs> Being welded into anything somehow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because there was an auto repair shop within Dan 6, Building 6. Um, staff and friends and family used to bring their cars in. They'd fix them up, send them out. So... A special van would come in, which had a, um, a secret holding spot. I'd be put in that, sealed up, uh, even, even if I wasn't welded in. Um, then whoever brought it in was supposed to come in on the Monday and pick it up. So I'd have to time it so I could get into that during the afternoon. Then they'd pick it up within an hour or two, and then I'd be driven out. Pretty good plan. One thing wrong with it, you'd have to trust somebody else in the whole city. Um it, it, it's buried alive. I know, and and the, I I was just I'd seen too many betrayals, and the inability to keep uh, secrets. Um, you know, I, I bet if you come across somebody who can really keep a secret, no matter what, you'd always find a, a place for him in your world, especially if you're up to no good. Um, they almost don't exist. There are a few around. And I'm not going to find anybody like that amongst the desperate and fly-blown of a Thai prison. Was Michael still your guy? He was uh, still around. Um, In fact, by the time I um, had settled on a plan, um, he uh, he'd attended, uh, I guess, in in London, a wake for me. My friends and family had gathered as the trial was nearing an end. So I guess, <clears throat> toast goodbye to David. Alas, we knew him well because it looked like, uh, okay, probably with various protests and things, the death penalty wouldn't be carried out, but it would still mean no royal pardons, no transfers, and being 20 years in the prison uh, under ever-worsening conditions. Most of them felt they weren't old enough to keep supporting me. So Sandra Gregory got a royal pardon around then, didn't she? Yes, the women got theirs a little quicker, Okay, uh, generally. Um, Did you have any interaction with her in the in the system? Yeah, oddly enough. I work with her. She's one of my colleagues at the public she? speaking in schools. Oh, right. oh she's yeah. still around. Yeah, yeah. Now, her case... She went to Oxford and everything. Mm. Her case is tied up with a guy called Bob Locke. Um, she was uh, working for Bob. Uh, he had a great address book, included people in Japan. You know what they pay for weed over there? Like 20,000 pounds a kilo. God, if I wasn't an honest man, that would be tempting. <laughs> Japan. Anyway, I tried to buy Bob's address book off him, of course. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, I damn well lost it. Anyway, I sidetrack here. Um, Bob was uh, had um, Sandra working for him on a very simple run, uh, a, 
bit of dope, 100 grams or something, was it less, um, ultimately to Japan. Whatever attracted their attention, uh, she became under suspicion. He was on the flight too. She was taken there for questioning. Um, did she mention his name? I think several times. The British authorities turned the Thai authorities onto what was happening. Nice. And she was actually, they they took him and his girlfriend for questioning and she she hadn't been in the mix yet. And they went up to her and they said to her, are you with them? And she's so honest, she said yes. So they took her wow. as well, <laughs> like that. Her life yeah. changed like that. God, if ever you regret having made the wrong answer, that must have been the day for her. Yes. Um, what was her book? Forget You Have a Forget Daughter. Forget You Had a Daughter, because yeah. she wrote home a letter to her mum saying, basically, death penalty or life for this. You might as well just forget you had a daughter. Mm. A good line for a book and a, a tragic thing to receive, I would think. Yeah, uh, yeah it's heartbreaking. So um, Bob was very uh, panicky over it too because he was worried that she might actually testify against him. He had one of the few acquittals I've ever seen. In yeah, he got country. out, didn't he? Um, under the glare of uh, the BBC cameras. So they had foreigners watching them, I suppose. Got massive publicity, yeah. didn't it, that case? Yeah, they followed almost every appearance. Um, he he was... I, I met up with him afterwards. He was living in, I think, near here somewhere. Working at the Phillips factory, doing some kind of dull job. He, he didn't... He, um, he remembered me, uh, and he, he knew about it. And he said to his flatmate, I mean, they were, they were broke. They were eating bangers and mash. And, uh, now I had to leave out another part of the story because whatever I say, sure, I will not get somebody in trouble. So it's a yeah, little bit of a delicate... We've got to be careful here. Uh, ...walking around. I doubt but, he'll want to come on the podcast to relive or put it out there. No, no, we'd be uh, <laughs> abusing uh, our storytelling abilities yes. if we actually got somebody carted away. Yeah, so, um, let's go on with uh, your story. Yes. Uh, <laughs> But the, anyway, the point was the flatmate never believed that that had all happen, happened, that I'd got out of there. Like Bob said, yeah, people don't believe it. Anyway, so, but here it was. I was back in there, running out of time, and um, yet all the time I was in there, I was preparing things for the fact that uh, I might have to go out alone. Um, I was building some things. I, because I didn't know the prison, I'd even made um, a kind of matchstick model under my little office desk of every time I saw something new, I'd add another little part of the building. You know? um, in fact, when I got... Uh, and and my, my furniture in my room had been manufactured in a certain way. Uh, people didn't have beds, they had little mats, but I had a very low-level bed frame with kind of woven mesh throughout it. Um, and I think a bookcase and a couple of tables and things like that. And Michael helped me by uh, sending me uh, the vital component. I don't know if I've spoken about it before, but he sent me the hacksaw blades. No, before we only talked about going into the Thai prison and the Israeli escape and the other failed escape right. by the Chinese. We've not done the hacksaw blades. <clears throat> now, they were the essential things, and particular hacksaw blades. So um, I told him how I, I got care packages. So 
this would be the way to get them in. But this couldn't be any ordinary care package. Uh, the foreigners were given a little bit more leeway. The, the Thais' um, clothing was dumped in a bucket of water in case something was dissolved in it. <clears throat> their bars of soap were cut open. Their honey was poked at. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I guess the, um, the Thais' guards thought that uh, foreigners wouldn't be sending in drugs from a, a Western country. It's Thailand that sends them out. So they allowed you a bit more, and you didn't get visits or anything like that. Uh, so I, I gave uh, Michael the instructions uh, for these, and when he you say carried you gave them the instructions, out. how did you do that without getting detected? Mm. I used um, an ultraviolet pen uh, and wrote it on the back of a letter that I sent out through my guard. So uh, he went into a darkened room, switched on one of those lights that you check forged currency with, and it was all there. And how did you get an ultraviolet pen in a Thai prison? Um, care package. My good friend and accountant, Hi Max, was always getting these long and never-ending lists of little things like cable ties and gaffer tape and uh, things that could be mixed in with stationery or for some other purpose. As long as there was plenty in the box, they, they wouldn't stand out at first. Um, he, uh, we had an old canning machine and somebody put a Swiss army knife into one of the cans and sealed it up and put a Fortnum and Mason's label on it. And, and, and that came in that way. Were you ever worried you were going to run out of money for these projects and eventually get stuck in there with, with no money? Um, well, Leah's source was dried up. My own money was gone. I was uh, entirely dependent on friends, and this was the big advantage. Uh, the only thing really um, that separates me from being either dead or stuck in some rat hole is that I still had friends. And you know how you keep friends, Sean. You're good to them, and they're good to you. You've got to filter out all the non-starters and deadbeats in this world. And that's not an easy thing to do, but you do get better at it as time goes on. And and Michael was always fine. Um, <clears throat> other people would say to him, you know, uh, why are you going through all of this stuff? He's just passing his time in there asking for all of these things. Nothing will come of it. So anyway, uh, Michael's care package arrived. It was a huge, heavy thing. It was opened up, and the, I waited till the guard was a bit tired. I let some other people go in front of me. Uh, Calvin, the American, was with me that day. I said, oh, Dave, you've got a big one there. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you go first, sir, Calvin, get your thing sorted out. Um, and it, it was opened up, and out came um, the usual things, T-shirts, clothes, trainers, um, cartons of cigarettes, which... Um, They'd be checked past to me, and I'd hand a couple of cartons back to the guards. They thought that was a polite thing to do. Um, remember, they don't look at it as bribery or corruption. I'm just showing gratitude for them being nice to me. Um, inside, uh, there was some decorative things, little pictures for the room, including a, a long scroll that unfolded uh, with, um, on, on dowel rods with a kind of go peacefully amid the noise and haste some, uh, and, and written in fine calligraphy and I recognised Michael's handwriting on that and um, that was put aside um, uh, then there were jars and, and painting 
brushes and things like that. But apart from the cigarettes being handed over, my key to not being checked very carefully was uh, I asked Michael to find the most filthy pornography he could lay his hands on. He got some from Denmark that was pretty rank. Um, you know, I said, no shit eating. I don't mean, you know, Michael, just vaguely within some human bounds, but <laughs> quite extreme. <laughs> and the Thai guards are picking these things up and going, oh, oh Wesley, no, 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 I mean, no. Under their chair it goes <laughs> for later checking, just to see quite how illegal it was. Um, but they've had their find, haven't they? So it was in the the poster that the hacksaw blades had been put in. In the dowel rods, top and bottom, which were wood, Michael had put them in a vice and run a radial arm saw up and down to cut a groove into them, bought some tungsten-tipped hacksaws, wrapped them in tinfoil to cover any X-raying thing, wow. uh, put them back in, sealed it up um, with AB resin-setting putty, um, sanded it down, repainted it, gold it, uh, topped and tailed it with the little knobs. Uh, now, it sounds interesting and good, but try getting somebody to do that. Imagine, well, if anybody watching this, imagine you're in some shithole someplace. Miserable stories. That's all that ever comes out of there. You're not like, nobody has any hope. You ask somebody to go and do something very specific for you. Go to some expense to do it. Time. Use skills. Have to learn something to do it. Will they do it? Will they do it just because David asked me to? He'd do anything I asked of him. And when I'd spoken to him after all that time, it had been months, I went into an explanation as to what had happened, and he stopped me. He said, David, don't go on to explain. Just tell me what I have to do, how much I need to bring. And um, that's a friend. What a guy between him and the guy getting your passport and the stamps and all that. Good yeah. grief. These are, like, really important parts, aren't they? Yes, um, you certainly, um, the only reason they either, they disliked me anyway, but they also knew that, that I would go the extra mile for them. And it's, it's really not, um, it's mostly just a case of agreement. If you come to a friendship with somebody, there comes a point when you, don't you think, where you think, yep, this is somebody who would, go all the way for me, and I'll go all the way for him, or her, as the case may be. I've only known a few women uh, who... Well, women are very good at being loyal, but then often as not, in general terms, their solution to things different. Men are risk-takers more uh, than women, aren't they? That's right. Um, and women are, um, are very hopeful, too. So <laughs> you have children, you've got to be damn hopeful, haven't you? <laughs> it's always going to turn sour. And yet you, <laughs> poor things, they've got to go through all that for nothing. Well, mostly. Anyway, um, so I've got my hacksaw blades. I've made up the other things. And um, pretty much then, is anything better going to happen? Because this is risky. My friends had come to see me and I said, what's the prison look like? Well, I kind of paced it out, and it's sort of like this, and I, I'd got to the outer wall during one of the big uh, 
church meetings, which are kind of like a hallelujah chorus. All of the African guys used to have a good old sing-along at these church meetings. Just to shout to you. It was, it was a big meeting place for all the guys from other, um, other buildings, so we'd catch up on the gossip. Um, but, um, oh, and of course, one or two of them had nominated themselves as, uh, uh, as priests in the real world. But I met a lot of uh, supposedly uh, um, princely Nigerian guys there. And the amount of Nigerian princes in Klong uh, Krem was uh, massive. Um, there was a whole network of their business affairs there, but it's quite a long story. It's in one of the books, but uh, they ended up getting tricked uh, badly over a repatriation scheme. So they were all a bit down. So the church singing wasn't so loud that weekend. Are well, these are the ones that the DEA has tricked with the one in four deal as well, where they were letting one in so many through the smugglers through. That that was still going on, though they it became so well known, um, not amongst the poor slobs who were the couriers, that if they took the job, they'd run out of Bangkok to to Europe or often Chicago. Chicago was a a big hub for them, and then uh, <clears throat> the fourth load they'd be given was exactly two point three kilos. I don't know why not particularly good. They'd take one step out of the taxi uh, at the airport and descend it upon. Um, they still managed to find a few people, but one of the embassy, embassy staff from the US uh, consulate was getting embarrassed about it. It was just too well known. So they were tangled up in that, but they also had um, uh, another problem <clears throat> that... Um, they thought was a solution. They couldn't get out of that prison because they had no passports. There was no embassy of Nigeria in um, Bangkok or I think of Ghana or somewhere else. But they they seemed to be saved by that one day when some um, they had a visit from some uh, uh, embassy officials in um, who were setting up a, a consulate. They'd been based in the Philippines. That was the nearest one in Manila. And uh, I think um, it, it was a work in progress, that uh, new embassy. I think something had been rented, a house and cars arranged, certainly a few flags put out. And they were told that they couldn't get their return home passports. Now, they really finished their sentences or can get a pardon unless they um, paid a fee to get the passport. There was something about clearing the photo. There was something about some government fee. All around, it was costing <clears throat> probably about $1,200 to arrange the passports for hundreds of the Nigerians. The Nigerian boss who was feeding and clothing all of these guys in prison, about 700 of them, um, he was. He said to them, look, you, um, I can't pay 1200 for each of you. Um, not all were entitled, but at least 100 were. Um, so they sent their families from... Uh, their hometowns in Africa to do little runs for them. And the guys were saying, well, don't get them arrested on the fourth one. They're only doing one, you know. <laughs> Tell me we need more passports, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so um, they, they paid their fees and uh, they were all getting ready to go. I saw them, they were bright and chirpy on visits. Finally, after 20 years inside, it looks like we're going home. They were going to make their uh, applications now that they had the documents. When's that? Oh, next week. Wasn't it last week? Oh, it's, a, it's a little delay, uh, David. It's just, uh, you know, what it's like, uh, bureaucratic uh, 
Yeah. Any money involved? Well, of course, we've given them some extra to move it along quickly. Hmm. About two weeks later, there was a story about non-payment of rent for uh, a consular building uh, that was uh, from the Nigerian embassy. Then something about uh, car rental companies wanting their limousines back uh, for the Nigerian embassy. Then uh, some, I think, somebody from a Japanese legation running into somebody in the Philippines embassy saying, oh, you guys are... Got a Bangkok office now. What? We've got no plans for that. <laughs> the whole thing was a shell. Oh, poor guys. Their fellow countrymen had come and set up a complete non-existent embassy service. Uh, got about 100 of them to get this 1,200 together, even at the cost of having their own families doing runs and things like that. Having village fates back home. Oh, it must have been awful. And... And nothing to it, just fleeced out. The smugglers got scammed by their own people. Mm. <clears throat> Some people would say you'd think they'd be, you know, wise up to that. There's hoping. Hope, again. Yeah. Hope again. Greed and fear. So, um, how are we on for time at the moment? Yeah, we could um, keep going a little bit here, and we're doing an hour and a half. We'll do some questions. Oh, and, but and we could do the signal. We, we're over an hour now. Yeah, yeah, we could we could finish. I'll do a few, do a few questions. Oh, but or, I I really need to finish this thing. Yeah, yeah, keep what, going, keep going. What are we at? Uh, we're at an hour and a half. Oh, okay. Well, we could do the full escape in part four. No, after, no, after lunch. I'll no, get lynched. Um, after lunch, create suspense. Okay, well, we can... No, I'm showing mercy on you, all right? <laughs> and on myself. We'll, we'll get to the point. Now, I was triggered to... We'll get to the point at least... Okay. Uh, ...where uh, I'm uh, at the top of the building. Okay, uh, great. Let's stop there. Yeah, I like that. Okay. <laughs> because it's not without its complications, as is anything. Okay. We're on the hacksaw right now. The hacksaw's okay. just and, been delivered. Yes, and, and I think that was the, the last element. I get word that uh, from my lawyer, looking very sheepish and sad, David, your trial's coming to an end. In a good way? Not necessarily. I think that's the Asian way of saying it. The dream fuck. is over. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, it was going to be finished off. I would be convicted, given the death penalty, whether that would be carried out or not, depended on if some some government official from either Britain or Australia making very strong representations. But in any event, I would be at Bunkon Prison uh, downtown, across the road. I'd have to start the whole thing again, and I'd be in heavy, heavy chains. Uh, because they'd look into my background a bit more. I'm sure the Australians would have said something about the helicopter escape and all. Mm. Anyway. Part <clears> one. So I had about three weeks to go. Uh, and Charlie, uh, well, I said, okay, get that passport organized. Um, how? Okay, where to put it? Okay. Have you got a friend in town with a, a flat? Yes. Okay put it somewhere there. He came back and he told me, David, I put it behind the mirror in the toilet cubicle in the flat. Here's a copy of the key. I've arranged with the trustee for you to have that key. And trustee gives it to me. I have it sealed in a little tag. Uh, the reason I do that is because I don't want to fail in this attempt, be tortured, 
and have to answer, what is this key to? No, we checked out that, you bastard. It wasn't that. Whack, 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 whack. You know, I didn't really fancy all of that if, if things went wrong. So I'm thinking ahead to, to what if things go wrong because it wasn't good. A new guard comes onto the, to the wing. Um, he, he's taken to sleeping downstairs outside my window. And he's having the little artist guy draw pictures of pistols and things. He's a he's gun freak. Well, that's maybe not a bad thing. At least I've got a, a gun to take off him. But <laughs> what good is a gun going to do me? We'll know in a minute. Okay. Um, everybody had backed out of the scheme. There was only, I think, um, the Hawaiian um, American in there, Jet, my servant. Uh, oh, yes, Mirage, the people smuggler. He was in a corner. Uh, and myself. Oh, and uh, the Viking, big, strong Sten. Nobody's going to be in it. Sten said, look, I'll help you on the night. I hope you cut out. That's it. I've paid a lot of money to have the only light switch in the whole of that prison. Um, months earlier, just can't sleep, boss. Oh, it's very illegal, a light switch. Very, uh, very, <laughs> thank you. All right, it'll be in by midnight. <laughs> so um, well, it wasn't really like he had to go and organize it so I had that done I had the crippled carpenter put it up <clears throat> I didn't have uh, running against the clock uh, you know a strange thing triggered me um, and one, of, one of the I don't even know what he did he was one of the servants uh, he came oh you're going to court today I've made you th he made a little um, wicker man out of special stones and things and blessed it and prayed over it. You're being sentenced today. I'm not even going to court, but that was the night I was going and he came to me. Yeah, spooky. Okay. Um, <clears throat> those are the people in the cell. Um, I said to uh, Stan, I think it's tonight. The sleeping guard is not down there tonight. I don't know when he's going to be back. Um, I'd had one, I'd moved one locker from the umbrella factory where I was supposed to be employed into my office. I knew I'd be so pressed for time, Sean, when I got out of there, because bars cutting's a, a difficult thing, that I left the padlocks undone on my lockers downstairs so I wouldn't have the additional time and the noise of taking out a key and unlocking them. Mm. I'm ready. Um, quarter to midnight, it's quiet around the place. Quiet enough. Turn the light off. Bedtime, guys. Seems a bit early. Next thing, Hawaiian American wakes up. I've taken, uh, days before, I'd taken the, the hacksaw um, blade uh, out of the scroll. Um, so they're hidden in the shower screen by then. All the other furniture has a, a part to play in, in what happens next. Sten uh, got up and got ready. Um, a little table unfolded to become a series of stairs leading to the window, which was about uh, eight feet high. So you couldn't stand on it and hack away. You needed this platform to do it. Uh, I've taken the hacksaw blades out. We've cut away and cut away. Uh, the others woken up in the cell, and uh, they don't know what. Uh, uh, the Indian guy's terrified at this. Is that what, Mirage? Mirage, yes. And are you, are you uh, worried that he's going to inform on you? I know he's the weakest link. Everybody else would be cool with it, <laughs> worried, but cool. Uh, but he could start screaming his head off or accidentally have a coughing fit. 
Are they potentially going to get tortured and questioned after you've gone? Because uh, oh yes, they'll be in trouble. Okay, uh, not uh, life or death trouble because most of them are, are foreigners. There's a limit to how far you get. Little jet, I was worried about, um, but um, and, and I virtually gave away all my cash that night. I gave jet my watch and everything like that. So um, there's nothing I needed. I had uh, two ATM cards, so I'd use those. Now, um, uh, I'd need a, a rope and a plank to get out of this window. I'd built a bookshelf. That came apart, and that became the plank going out. But it went. I was cutting a bar on this side, and the plank went out next to it, but not facing flat, turning sideways. And But it would flop down, wouldn't it? So I'd built another thing which locked that in place, which was made out of wood. It was a footstool, but when you twisted it around and took out a key to it, it became the the locking piece. My bed um, had a hundred meters of army boot factory webbing in it, uh, and that um, was going to be the rope. Sten is cut uh, through one bar only, one part of one bar. When it's released from the uh, its grip on on the lower section, it's sprung away. With a big sprawling. I can feel my heartbeat increasing right ah, now. I'm you know right there that, with you. Yes, thank you. Uh, what that meant, the whole building had shifted sideways, so everything's under tension. I need at least two bars out to get out of the place. Clean. It's already after one o'clock in the morning. It's nighttime. This is what I didn't take into account in all my testing. Sound. Everything's making a hell of a record. It, it wasn't like a violin at night. It was a great scrape as this sound... I'm glued to the crack in the door, looking at the sleeping or dozing guard down the hallway there. That's my function to call what happens. He can wear, uh, Sten can wear himself out hacking away at this thing. Uh, I need my energy for what's to come. He goes to work on the second one. <sighs> um, Mirage is uh, stirring. And I, I, I went up to him and I had to say something that would be utterly persuasive to keep him quiet. I grabbed a fistful of his ear and whispered in a kind of hoarse voice, Mirage, know this with a certainty. The only reason, the only reason you're not dead now at my hand is because it would upset the others if you were dead in front of them. But believe me, if you make any sound, that will happen quickly. It seemed to work. Uh, so, um, because you can imagine, if I, if I strangled him, it, well, anyway, the, the Hawaiian, for one, would crack up. Let's not <laughs> strangle Mirage. Go yeah. Uh, uh, killing's not all it's cracked up to be. I think it's an easy way to go. It's not. I, I'm just about through the second bar, or second cut of the first bar up in the top part, Um I'm getting my things together. I've untangled this rope. I've got a balsa wood uh, bookcase, which I've broken through to get the other <laughs> Are they all peeping out? at you as well, the midgets? Are they all watching? Are they pretending yeah, to be well, asleep? Yeah, well, I turned around, and you know who's... When they've all worked out. I'm going that night. It's on. Um, Jet, my loyal manservant, little guy, I turned around. You know what? He's dressed in his Sunday best. They all had this kind of good clothes. He's got his sandals on. He's even got... A little handkerchief in his top pocket to look flat. Because he's coming with me. <laughs> the midget thinks he's coming. 
Yeah. <laughs> Let's not call him a midget. Little guy. It almost brought a tear to my eye. I with you, my teacher, he said. He called me that for some reason. I was supposed to be teaching him English, but... Anyway, uh, no, 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 Jet, look, it's, if I would have been suicide if I took him with me, the things I had to do. Um, you stay here. Look, take some more. In fact, take all of the money. Here, I said to Stan, take care of this little guy, will you? Oh, God They're bless. going to take that first lot of money off him yeah. straight away. Yeah. You'll have to come in with the second lot. Scream embassy, you've seen everything. You know, don't let any more harm come to him than it's conceivably possible. Yeah. And underscore uh, that if I do get away, that you know, uh, I'll be vengeance of God upon any who hurt him because I'll be out there. Mm. And anyway, of course, I could be caught and the whole thing means nothing. <clears throat> Where am I? Yep. Uh, I still can't get out of the damn cell. He's cut halfway through. I look at the time. It's about, uh, I don't know, 2.20 or something. I haven't got my watch. I've given it to the kid anyway. But I've got one of those old Casio ones, faithful to the end. Um, I said to Stan, stop cutting. Um, can you bend that, barehanded, a little bit, six inches up, because one's clear? I guess so, only if I stand on it. But this thing had been made, so he had a kind of pilot's position at the window. Fine. So then the bookcase slides out, gets locked into place, so I'm ready to go. Uh, he bends it up. I can't get under it. It's just about five and a half inches. But I know he can hold it temporarily if he wraps his hand in a towel. Um, and I put another towel in, under the vicious cut stub of the other one so as I slide in underneath, it won't cut my back. <clears throat> he grabbed a hold of that thing and bent it like he was strangling every guard that had ever given him a hard time in his entire life, I think. Good old couple Stan. Of, yeah, a couple of grade school teachers in there and all. Um, so I've stripped down. I've greased myself up even. I've got stuff in a bag, what I think I'll need. I just managed to climb out backwards, and then I'm through. And then he can release his grip a bit because it's only my legs then and they'll go either side. I'm through and I'm holding on the opposite way. I'm now looking in to the cell. Outside is the black night. The Bangkok lights blinking in the distance there. I've got this bag over my shoulder and a big plank three floors up uh, with its own dangers. But suddenly everything was still and different. The sound was different. Um, I was like a visiting creature who'd landed on the side of the prison, some griffin, winged griffin that had been clutching the thing. And I looked in at them. Means nothing anymore. Wow. That's the end of that. Whatever's to come, that is the end of that. Okay. No time for such introspection on it. I've got to get to the ground, so I take the uh, army boot webbing rope, sling it over to the uh, this plank, which is a, a building construction plank. <clears throat> I hand over hand toward the end of it. The reason I'm going right to the tip of this thing, and the reason it had to be wedged out, is because beneath me is a, a masonry awning that's crumbling away. There's a cell full of trustees underneath that usually play card games all night. Uh, if they detect me, they'll blow the whistle. 
if anything drops on this awning, it'll crumble. I dropped a little stone on there the week before. It just about fell to pieces. I even tried to get the damn thing repaired. Nonetheless, I try a bit of half-witted abseiling. Uh, that doesn't work. Um, I was swinging around in a crazy figure of eight uh, with the bottom of this rope brushing against this crumbling awning. To hell with it, I thought. I let myself just slip through it. I took... I don't know, what have we got, seven layers? I lost a couple, three of them uh, sliding down to the ground, but I landed without too much racket. Fine. Managed to flip the top of the rope off, but spaghetti down towards the ground. For me, the plank withdrew. Sten stuck his head out a little bit and said, send me a postcard. I really did. <laughs> anyway, time against me. The Casio's blinking away. It's three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, let us um, okay. resume this after lunch, shall we? All right. So this is going to be the dramatic cliffhanger ending of part three. David has kindly come back and is spending all this time with us. So can you please support him back in the description box below this video are going to be links to his two books, Unforgiving Destiny and Escape both of which I've read, and I'm going to be putting five-star reviews on Amazon for those. So if you have read them as well, we would appreciate you leading, leaving your reviews. Yeah, people don't do that, do they? No, no. It helps the algorithm if you leave some reviews for David as well. So click over. If you've bought it on Kindle, you can believe what's a verified review, which means you've bought it, blah, blah, blah. And that even counts for more in the algorithm. So, so you can support David by clicking over to his YouTube channel, He's well over 500 subs now, thanks to people who clicked over at the end of part two. Please click over, sub to his channel. He said that will motivate him to produce more content. You're losing your show. It's under the show more anyway. You'll work out what to do. And if you thought the book was shit, well, don't say that. <laughs> we did get loads of questions coming from you guys. So in part four... I will, if there is time, I will be putting these questions to David. And if you've got more questions for David, because we've, we're only on the second continent, right? We, we've got five continents of, of crimes and smuggling stories and prisons and escapes and death rows and torture yet to come. So if you do have more questions for David, please put them in the comments section below this video and we will, we will keep putting these questions to him. I do try and end. answer them um, from time to time. Uh, when I'm on a train, because I do have a job out there. You know, I put in a lot of CCTV cameras and uh, uh, also do some uh, house renovations and things. And if anyone wants to hire you for your for your work, can they do that as well? In, in yeah, the, they could. What what kind of work are you offering? Um, well, uh, I've got a couple of painters, and strangely, people trust me with their keys. <laughs> I, no, no, my jacket out there is bulging with keys to probably... 20 houses around London. Um, and I usually get the dirty jobs. They're moving in on Tuesday. Uh, can you put a partition in? Uh, I, I, well, you don't make any money from books. You know that. Well, if you can but, escape uh, from tight death row, you can certainly put a partition in. Yeah, I'm used to putting them down. But, uh, <laughs> what, how can people contact you if for work, prospectively? Oh, anybody can contact me simply by going to the website, davidmcmillan.net. Yeah. And there's a contact page. It, okay. li it links to an email. Uh, so in the south of London, is that the area that you cover for this work? Will you travel? Yeah, yeah I guess south. So if you're, if you're south of London then and you've got some work and you'd like David to pop up and um, do that for you, 
go into the description box below this video. We'll put in the link to his website as well. Mm. So, right. Okay. Give us a hug. Give yeah, us a big hug. Okay.